God, we are grateful to be your beloved children. And it is true that we don't always live out of that identity. It's true that there are a lot of other people telling us who we are and who we're supposed to be. There are a lot of voices. So we thank you for opportunities of worship. We can draw near and hear your voice and hear your words and remember your promises that you are our light and our salvation and we don't have to be afraid. That you are a God who's watching over every step. That you know us better than we know ourselves. And even when we fall into sin, you are there to pick us up and clean us off and send us off to do better. We thank you for the empowering work of your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Spirit, that you are relentless and that you never get tired. That we can confess the same sin to you again and again and you say, yeah, I know. Let me help. Thank you. Thank you for being a generous God. We thank you, Jesus, that in this season of Eastertide, we never get tired of talking about resurrection. Thank you that this means that our own bodies will be resurrected someday. We don't even know exactly what that means, but it's going to be amazing. So thank you for taking on flesh so that we have hope so we are a people who need hope. So thank you for drawing our eyes toward the things that matter most. Thank you for worship and scripture and prayer and friends. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Rooks Vendelen. During this time of a lot of transition and uncertainty, we pray that your peace indeed is across this whole campus. We pray tomorrow for the room draw that you will place people exactly where they need to be, not only for their benefit or enjoyment or good year, but really for the building up of your kingdom. Put us in rooms that help the kingdom grow. Put us in rooms that are gonna stretch us to be hospitable and kind. Help us to get ready for the freshmen who'll be coming in in the fall. Lord, it's easy to make these things about us, and then we get really anxious. But when we remember that it's really about you, then we don't have to worry at all. And so help us to trust. And we pray for our friends in RVD, too, that as many of them think about leaving the dorm or different roommates for next year or other things that are happening, that you will just guide them. If there are any conversations that they need to have before they leave, Encourage them, prompt them, Spirit. If there's anything that they need to confess, if there's anything that needs to be forgiven, Lord, help us, help all of us, as this year draws to a close, to bind up the things that need to be bound up and to set free the things that need to be set free. And we do pray with them for health, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. For some of us, it seems like from now until the end of exams, we have so much to do, and we don't know how we're going to do it. And so, Lord, we pray that you give us each day our daily bread and strengthen us. Remind us that to be a student is the call that you've given us for right now. This is the call. This is the vocation. So help us to put 
our hearts and minds to the task and to do it well again for your glory and not our own. We pray for our campus. We thank you that there are those who get together and pray regularly all over the place, faculty and staff and students. We thank you that this is becoming more and more a place of prayer. And we know that when we pray more that the enemy gets more active and so Lord, keep us bold in our prayers. Raise up prayer servants on this campus who will lay out the needs and envision a future where more and more people are on their knees all the time looking for you and seeking your will. We pray that for the incoming class. We pray that you will draw students to this place who will help us build your kingdom here. We pray for believers, new and old, people who know the Bible well and people who are just beginning to discover it. We pray for people who have deep and abiding commitments that go back for generations and for students who are coming in who are the only Christian in their family. Lord, prepare us to welcome them well. And we think about our brothers and sisters on this campus who know what it's like to be the only Christian in their family. And Lord, we know that they are praying for brothers and sisters and moms and dads and grandparents to turn their hearts toward you. And so God, our prayers echo theirs because we all have people we love who are far from you. And so we pray, Lord, that you will turn their hearts, that you will draw them into your love, that they will be drawn in by your grace because it is irresistible. And Lord, help us to persevere in our prayers. Help us to not lose heart. Help us to tell other people that we need them to be praying too. But Lord, we thank you for those who are here, for whom this is the first Christian community they've ever been in. May we love them deeply and well. May we fill them up. We know some are going back to homes for the summer or off to jobs where it's going to be more challenging to be a person of faith. And so we pray protection over them in the name of Jesus. That they will be able to be bold witnesses for you. Lord, we pray for all of us in this season of saying goodbye and letting go and moving on. Remind us again and again that even in all of these changes, you are present and nothing is a surprise for you. So help us to trust you each day. And Lord, as we turn now to your word, we thank you that these old stories of Jesus are alive and convicting and new and challenging. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you get to work in us as we open your word. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're looking at parables, and tonight we're looking at Matthew 13. It's after the parable of the sower, page 794 and 795 in the pew Bibles that you have. So Jesus offers the parable. And then he offers a couple more things, and then he goes off by his disciples and he offers the explanation of the parable. So uh, we're going to read the parable and the explanation. 
Matthew 13, beginning to read at verse 24. Jesus put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field, but while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the, the slaves of, of a householder came to and said to sowed good seed Master, did you not sow good seed But while everybody field? was asleep, Where then an did enemy weeds came and from? sowed weeds among the wheat. He answered, and then went away. Enemy has done this. So when the plants came up the and bore grain, then the weeds appeared to go as well. well. And the, the slaves of a householder came and said, gathering good seed did you not sow good seed But while everybody was asleep, where then did the enemy Let's both of them grow together until the harvest, and the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, collect the weeds So when the plants came up, the slaves and bundles of weeds appeared as well. But gather the wheat into my barn. And then we're down to verse 36. Then Jesus left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples approached him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the word. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers and they will throw them into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Let anyone with ears listen. This is the word of the Lord. So one of the questions you may have after reading this parable is, is that a real problem? Did people actually do that? I mean, were there people walking around with like little bags of bad seed hanging by their side and they'd get, you know, sidle up to a neighbor's field and be like... <laughs> I mean, did, did this actually happen? And it actually did. In fact, there is a law on the books, Roman law, that says it's illegal for you to sow weeds in a neighbor's field. You will be punished. It is against the law. That's how common it was. They had to make a law. Guys, guys, stop doing the weeds in the other person's field thing. Not helping the team. Come on. Come on. And this is why you would do it. You see, in the story like this one that Jesus lays out, you have a landowner who has a lot of land, and there are all these tenant farmers who tend the land for him, his slaves, and everybody is relying on that land to do well. Everybody needs that land to flourish because then the people who are tending it will have enough food, and the landowner will be able to make a profit, and he'll be able to buy more seed and... Sure, good things for the next year. And so there are a lot of people who are relying on this. And if you wanted to take out your economic enemy, or if you wanted to take out your political enemy, you could hire somebody to go in the nighttime and spread bad seed all through their field. Now imagine if you were one of the slaves and you had done all of this work 
You had prepared the ground and tilled the ground. You got all the seed. You went out there. You sowed the seed. You tended the seed. You washed the seed. All the things you had to do for the seed. And then it starts to come up and you realize, hang on. This isn't what we planned. And everything you've been working for and everything you've been hoping for and everything that you imagined your future would be is suddenly compromised. And you think, what has happened here? What has happened here? And that's exactly what we think, isn't it? Because Jesus, in his explanation, points out pretty clearly that the wheat and the weeds are good and evil, and they grow up side by side. And we look at this world around us, and we see the good, and we see the evil mixed up in together, and we look around, and we say, what happened here? The women of Eldersville invited me over this week, and when they extended the, yeah, shut up. When they extended the invitation to come, they said, we want you to come and speak on the problem of evil <laughs> at 9 o'clock on a Tuesday. I'm like, well, sure, you know, volumes have been written on that, but I think I could cover that in the uh, 40 minutes. <laughs> but they didn't ask me over to talk on the problem of evil because they're all taking the same philosophy class and they had a paper due and it's like, hey, well, let's pick her brain a little bit, let's get some information on this. It wasn't a cognitive problem for them. It wasn't some intellectual puzzle that they wanted me to solve. Because the problem of evil, the existence of evil, the spread of evil in this world is not a cognitive problem. It's not an intellectual puzzle. It's a gut problem. It's a heart problem. It's a life problem. And just as the weeds scattered through the field caused individual problems and corporate problems, evil spread through the world causes individual problems and corporate problems. There is not a life in this room that has been unaffected by evil. There are people here who know what it's like to grow up in abusive households. There are people here who know what it's like when one parent betrays another parent and the whole family blows up. There are people here who knows what it's like when one friend betrays another friend and the whole friend system blows up. There are people here who fought significant illness. My friend who had cancer and then died because of it described cancer as evil at a cellular level. Every life in this room has been touched by evil. And then we lift our eyes and we look more broadly and it doesn't take that much for us to see evil everywhere. ISIS beheaded more Christians this weekend. There's a drought in California and everybody's acting stupid and selfish. Somebody got stabbed in Grand Rapids. I mean, it's just, it's everywhere. And we look out on the field and we say, how did this happen? Where did this come from? Why is this even here? And did you notice the slaves in the story? You notice the first person they asked? Um, was this you? 
master, landowner, person in charge. I believe you were the one who bought the seed. Did you not get the right seed? There are two bags. One says good, one says bad. Did you get the right bag? <laughs> and that's what we do too. We look at the master and we say, what are you doing here? What are you up to here? Why are you mixing things up? Why did you mess this up? One of the most common reasons for people to walk away from faith for a while or for a lifetime is because the evil intersected with their life in such a way that it was so painful and they looked to God and said, if you're supposed to be all loving and all powerful and this thing happened in my life, something's not right. And I'm going to guess it's you, so I'm out. It's a very common thing for people to have suffering burble up in their lives. Evil breaks out in some particular way, and they blame God. And they say, this is you. You did this. You brought this on me. I don't trust you anymore. I'm out. But what does the master say? when they say to him, hey, did you not get the right seed in here? What does he say? An enemy did it. An enemy did this. And what is Jesus' explanation of that? He's pretty clear about who the enemy is, isn't he? The enemy is the devil. He says, here's what the kingdom looks like right now, folks. You've got God who's working toward righteousness and justice and peace and harmony and truth and beauty. And you've got his enemy, the devil, who is working against all of those things. So don't think for a minute, Jesus says, that God is the author of evil. Don't think for a minute that he takes any delight in your pain. It's the enemy that is the one who is the agent and author of evil. And the image here of the wheat and the weeds is so correct. It's so right on. It's so fitting. Because the particular weed that they're talking about here is a weed that would grow up looking very much like wheat. In fact, this is why they don't know that it's there until it starts to bear fruit, until it starts to get grain on the top of it. But one of the big dangers of this particular weed was that it had a root system that was deeper and a little more entangly than that of the wheat. And so the root system of the weed would go down into the dirt and suck up all the nutrients and steal it away from the wheat and get so woven in that it was really impossible to take out one without the other. Doesn't that sound like Satan? That he just gets in and goes deep in all the places where we seek for truth and beauty and righteousness and holiness, he says, ah, you don't really need to go there. That's not really important to you. You don't believe in that God anyway, right? He caused you this much pain. Why would you get up when you don't have to get up and go and worship a God that you're ticked at? Why would you do that? Stay home. Why would you read scripture when it's, just, it's full of myths and fairy tales? Why would you do that? 
And instead of our roots going down deep and seeking truth and righteousness and all the things that fill us up, the weeds get in there and tangle it and make it really hard for us to grow and flourish in the way that God designed us to. The enemy, Jesus says, is not God. The enemy is the devil. Another response from the slaves is to say, well, should we just go rip it out? Which shows that they don't have any understanding of what's happening here. Like, let's just rip it out. And he's like, no, 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 no. Just wait. Because I have a plan. I have a plan, says the master. This is the way it's going to go. We're going to let them grow up side by side just as they are. But let me tell you something. Come harvest, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go in there and we're going to pull out all the weeds. We are going to rip them out all the way down to the roots. And we're going to bind them together in bundles and we're going to burn them up. Then we're going to take all the wheat and we're going to gather it into the barn. And Jesus' description of this in verse 41 is so powerful. He says, the Son of Man will send his angels and they will collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers and they will throw them into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What causes you to sin? You don't have to say it out loud. What are the things that cause us to sin? Let's go through the big seven. Pride. I'm just a little bit better than her. I think I look a little bit better today. Envy. He does not deserve that internship. I deserve that internship. I believe I will try and figure out how to get that internship from him. Anger. I can't believe I got that grade. Prof totally hates me. Well, I hate that prof now. I'm going to sit in class, and I'm not even going to look at her. They totally know this when you do that, by the way. <laughs> Pride, envy, anger, sloth. I'm kind of bored with all this spiritual stuff. You know, I can just step back for a little while. I don't really need to try that hard. I mean, I'm a senior. I'm almost done. Meh. Sloth equals meh. <laughs> Anytime your response to something is meh, sloth, is that worth it? <laughs> Pride, envy, anger, sloth, greed. Maybe I should change my major because I saw what the earning potential is of that major. And I see what the earning potential is of my major. And I would rather have that earning potential. Pride, envy, anger, sloth, greed, gluttony. I believe I owe it to myself to eat 17 chocolate chip cookies because I finished that paper two hours early. <laughs> I know I'm full, but, you know, it's grilled cheese Wednesday, so <laughs> let's go. Or the other extreme of gluttony is 
I will let all those people eat a whole lot and I will practice excellent self-control by not eating anything ever. Pride, envy, anger, sloth, greed, gluttony, lust. Well, there's an attractive person. Whoops. <laughs> what if all the causes of sin, all of them, all the causes of sin were done. Done. Gone. Destroyed. Burned up in the fires of hell. Imagine you wake up tomorrow morning and you find that the seven deadly sins and all of their bad cousins are gone. Can you imagine? That's the vision that Jesus gives to his people. All the causes of sin and all the evildoers, that is all of those who have made those seven deadly sins, their animating forces, their drive and their desire to the complete exclusion of anything right and good and holy and pure, all of those who have been sucked into the enemy's schemes, who have taken advantage of other people, for generations upon generations, all of them, all the causes of sin and all evildoers are gone. Wow. That's the vision, but that's only one half of it. It's not just getting all the causes of sin and all the evildoers out of the way. There's more to it. Two years ago, when the Boston Marathon bombing happened, there was this quote floating around on the internet afterwards, a quote from Mr. Rogers. You know Mr. Rogers? The neighborhood and the trolley and the owl. And Mr. Rogers' quote was actually from his mom. And he said when he was a little boy and he would get overwhelmed by the pain and sorrow that he experienced, when something bad would happen, she would say to him, look for the helpers. Because when something bad happens, there are always helpers. Look for the helpers. The helpers in a time of darkness are like the candlelight that you see in a dark room. They're just little flickers. And, and you may remember after the the Boston bombing, that there were all these stories about different people who stepped up and helped. And for a long time, they weren't even known. It was like guy with a cowboy hat, right? Do you remember? It was just, we didn't, we didn't know who he was. He was just, he was a helper. He was a bright light. And then people would interview the people who helped, who stepped up, who were there. And it was like in this really dark season, this really dark time for our country, there were these people who were like, ah, light. Here's, here's the vision that Jesus gives. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. All the things 
that the weeds have taken from us, all the things that the weeds have taken, the nutrients and the beauty and the life and the truth that has made it so hard to be a righteous person, all the things that have made our spiritual progress be like two steps forward and like 17 steps back, all of those things that have made it so hard to be a disciple, all those things will be gone and you and I and the children of light, those who have proclaimed the name of Jesus Christ, those who say that Jesus Christ is Lord, those who live out of that truth and that beauty and that righteousness, he says, we will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. That's what it's going to be like. When our lives, when the life of the church of Jesus Christ is unencumbered by the roots of the weeds, when we are set free from the causes of sin, when the evildoers have been banished, we will shine like the sun, Jesus says. And the disciples who first heard this parable didn't know exactly how that was going to happen. They didn't know what they were in for. They had no idea that what Jesus was going to do was going to take those causes of sin and all the heartbreak and the deep evil of the world and he would take it with him to the cross and it would die. And he would go down to hell and free people. And he would rise again on Sunday morning victorious. I mean, they, had, they had no idea. But we do. We do. You do. You know how the story ends. You know what God is up to. And it is that strength, it is that power that is not our own but comes from the truth of the gospel story from the Holy Spirit constantly working in us to call us into righteousness it is the strength of the gospel story itself that helps us to stand up in the face of evil and say no more it is not our own strength it is the strength that we live into the strength of the new heaven and the new earth the strength of the kingdom of God that allows us to say I will fear no evil the devil will have no place at Calvin College. The enemy will have no place over my life or the life of my friend or the life of my family. I stand against evil in the name of Jesus because I know how the story ends. That's what this parable is about. There are reasons to give blame, Jesus says, but know who you're blaming. And there are reasons to have hope, and he says, know why you hope. We will fear no evil, for the Lord our God is with us wherever we go. Will you pray with me? Our God, we praise you we praise you. We praise you because you are the one who has given us a vision of the kingdom. A vision of a kingdom where the seven deadly sins are dead. And the virtues 
of patience and justice and fortitude and truth, where the fruit of the Spirit is born abundantly. Lord, help us to live into that vision. Help us to live as those people. Help us to live as people who know how the story ends. And so even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil, for you are with us. We thank you, God, that you never let us go. And we pray all of this in the only way we can, which is through the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.